0: I'm Stan Friedman, and this
1: is Franchise Today. Did I just say August 3rd? Slow down, world. You move too fast. This is already week 32 of 2022, and while temperatures are still blazing here in Georgia, as well as many places across the country, believe it or not, many kids here in Georgia are back in school this week. Labor Day is just five weeks away our midterm elections are just fourteen weeks out and then before you know it it's thanksgiving christmas and the new year falling in right behind that when did time begin accelerating like this did covid have something to do with it or is it just my age it seems the older i get the faster the world flies around me well kudos to jerry j dog flanagan for turning in a commanding performance here last week His story and the adventures that are the lives of he and his wife, Tracy, are compelling, as is their service to our veterans, their families, and their communities. I salute you once again, j Dog, and you too, Tracy. Thank you for your service. Well, this week we're joined by another veteran of sorts, but this one a veteran of franchising, not the military. Today, I'm joined by Chuck Bongiovanni co-founder and former ceo of care patrol a one hundred fifty or so unit senior care advising franchise concept that he co-founded with his wife becky who to this day remains care patrol's president however chuck took his exit from care patrol shortly after selling it to the riverside company and went on to create the next chapter in his life as co-founder and ceo of majestic residences where they provide the highest possible quality of care to seniors requiring low or higher levels of care including memory specific care but they do so promoting dignity self-esteem and autonomy in how they go about it caring for residents in the environment of much smaller residential care homes that they build or convert in quiet residential neighborhoods and communities, as opposed to most assisted living facilities that we're familiar with, which can be found in larger and more institutional environments. Chuck Giovanni joins us in two minutes or less to tell us more.
0: Franchise Today will be right back. But first, a word from our sponsors.
1: Hey, franchisors of restaurants, bars, grills, and taverns, and multi-unit franchisees, listen up. This message is for you. Atmosphere TV wants to help you cut costs on overpriced cable TV for your business and either replace it completely or partially if sports programming is essential at your locations. What Atmosphere TV provides are 100% Text FRANCHISE to 474747 for the no-charge Apple receiver. Cut the cord and get rid of cable today with Atmosphere TV. Chuck Bongiovanni is an accomplished serial entrepreneur with a knack for identifying challenges, facing them head-on, and creating win-win solutions for all involved. He's accomplished this in his personal and professional lives, and who knows, he may do so too again for others in his community sooner than one may think chuck bonjivanni right here right now to tell us all about it chuck bonjivanni Welcome to Franchise Today.
2: Thanks, Dan. Great to be here. Thanks for the invitation.
1: Happy to have you joining us today. You've got a long career in franchising that's not been in too many places from what I've discovered, which is unusual. Most of us along the way, we change shirts a little more often than you have, but we always collect people. So we stay together with the keepers, no matter which label or brand we identify with at any given time. And we're going to ask you to roll the tape back on your story and tell us just how and when franchising found you?
2: Well, in uh, 1993, I started a a small company uh, here in Arizona. Uh, It was kind of like an offshoot of my social work degree. I looked at it as a private practice and I was helping families find assisted living and memory care, nursing homes uh, for their loved ones. So again, I looked at it more as just a private kind of practice, but it grew and grew and grew. Very, very successful in the Phoenix, Arizona area. And I always wanted to grow it. I had a lot of people asking me, "Hey, can you teach me how to do this in my city?" And realized that franchising was probably something that would, you know, work really, really well in this industry. So my wife and I, uh, Becky, started Care Patrol Franchise System uh, in 2009. And we're very successful at it. You know, a lot of ups and downs and learning curves and those kinds of things. We grew it to 155 uh, units in 37 states. Uh, It was acquired by uh, the Riverside Company. Great group of people out there. And I left in 2020 to start um, Majestic Residences, my new franchise, which is pretty much... Almost the opposite of Care Patrol. You know, Care Patrol helped people find assisted living and such. And Majestic Residences is actually the the, the providers of, of the care. So we are a residential care facility franchise. So I kind of, you know, went to the other side of the desk. which was kind of strange to begin with.
1: Well, we're going to unpack all of that and talk about it all. But I want to just before we get to that, I want to understand how you approached franchising. So before you began franchising, you said you kind of grew Care Patrol in the phoenix area Mm -hmm. under what model were you growing prior to franchising
2: oh it was just you know just myself and uh uh you know an employee working the business you know wasn't franchising Mm -hmm. anything like that it was just like i said it was more of a private practice uh, working with families, getting referrals from hospitals and, and such.
1: And so was this the beginning of your professional career? Was this like out of college? Or- yeah,
2: yeah, I just got a, a a master's in social work. And at the time I was divorced and had full custody of my six month old son. Uh, it was just me and him. And I realized that I had to find something else besides a social work salary to, you know, to, to do well. And so I took the aspects of a uh, of social work, and uh, molded that into kind of a, a real estate model also to help families uh, find uh, the assisted living places and, and get paid pretty reasonable from them.
1: So Chuck, when you had the idea to begin franchising, how did you go about that? What was your approach?
2: You know, <laughs> kind of like a fast fail approach. Uh, make make a lot of mistakes, but make them very, very quickly. We hired a, a really good franchise attorney and a real good franchise consultant, uh, Bob Gappa, many years ago, and, and he walked my wife and I down the path of what to expect and uh, what to look for in a potential franchisee, uh, which is extremely important, especially in the very beginning. The Silver Fox, yes, great guy, Bob gapno yeah, you know, yeah, the first- I've known Bob for years. The first thing he taught us, which meant the most in both in both my franchise systems and in business was uh, he looked at my, my wife and myself and said, uh, what did you do the first time your two-year-old scribbled with crayon on the wall? And he goes, Were you angry? I said, Yeah, for about five seconds or so. And you know, he's like, Yeah, and you probably had a cookie with him within 10 minutes afterwards. And I'm like, Yeah, absolutely. And he really enforced or reinforced the fact that franchisees and and you aren't always going to get along, but you're in it together for the long run. So Whatever happens, just take it in stride. Don't take it, never take it personally and just move on. Solve the problem and move on. Well, for the first approach to
1: learning the business, you went to the top of the house. There are a few that I think can compete with Bob Gappa for doing the right thing, doing it the right way and instilling his knowledge into those who are approaching franchising for the very first time and getting it right the first time. So it's probably a bit of a testament to him that what you accomplished with Care Patrol came out of the gate and was able to sustain its growth.
2: Yeah, we definitely started with the right person and his values and and explaining to us that we're not selling franchises. That was a big point. You know, I I always thought in the very beginning, you know, we're going to franchise, we're going to sell these things. But he really explained to us that we're awarding. And that's been a a focal point of Care Patrol and and Majestic Residences is finding that right franchisee. And I don't care how big of a check they want to write, it doesn't matter to me. Because I want to make sure I have the right person first and not just someone who can write a check. It makes a huge difference in franchise.
1: Totally, completely agree. You're preaching to the choir when you're telling that to me.
2: <laughs>
1: so how big did you get before you were approached by Riverside?
2: You know, it's funny because I always thought that you'd be approached you know, when you have less franchises. So there'd be more room to grow, you know? So I was surprised. It was about a, I want to say maybe a two and a half year kind of romance. You know, when they first called me, I wasn't interested uh, and then they called me in the second year and kind of still weren't interested because we weren't quite ready. We didn't feel like, and then about a quarter after that, they gave me a call and I said, you know, let's talk. Let's see what uh, you guys can, can bring us and what we can bring you. And was your wife
1: involved from the very beginning?
2: Oh my God, if <laughs> if Becky wasn't involved during the due diligence process, we would have never sold. I'm a visionary, I'm not a detail kind of guy and Becky is definitely that detail person. When private equity is looking at you, they're looking under every rock and they're even breaking a couple of rocks in half just to see what's under those two. And I, I think I went through the first list they gave us in the due diligence process. I went through the first list, it took me like four or five hours to do and then my hands were in the air and said, I just don't have the patience for this. So Becky took over, she did an incredible job. And she's actually the brand president right now. Now that was a very, very good move on Riverside Spark.
1: Well, that's just a great story. And it's the nature of franchising, the interdependency of franchising. But you brought it a little closer to home and having a partner in life as well as a partner in business. So, And that she's still there and you're out now doing similar work, but in a different aspect of the same space. So let's move the ball forward a little bit and take us into the present day with a bit more information about the birth of Majestic Residences and how it was that... That you decided to stay in the Allied
2: space, but put a different twist on it. Yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting story because I actually wanted to franchise the residential care space before we franchised Care Patrol, but there weren't enough residential care homes across the nation yet. It wasn't; it was still in this kind of infancy stage. First of all, the the industry itself there's about thirty thousand residential care homes, and these are like assisted living places in residential neighborhoods. So uh, a senior would would uh, live in an actual home in the neighborhood and it would be staffed 24 hours, much like an assisted living facility or memory care facility but in much smaller um, much smaller ratios, anywhere between six and 16 residents. And so it's an industry that's very fragmented. There's absolutely no branding, no marketing. They're kind of, they're, they're so busy doing the work because the, the owners are so involved in the, in the actual home, it's hard for them to build their business and, and grow and expand. So part of franchising in that industry was to get that owner out of the caregiving role and get them into to work on the business instead of being, in the business to get them opportunities to open up uh, other other franchises and you know other homes, and today there are how many right now we have we have uh ten operating fifteen in the process, and we have about sixty that are in the final stages of being awarded so we're we're growing pretty quickly. The housing market recently slowed us down a little bit because of the home prices went up so quickly over a short period of time, but I see that that I'm sure that's going to be slowing down here. It already has in some cities.
0: So
1: how does this model work? What does it look like? What is the franchise or providing to the franchisee and teaching them to do and what's their day-to-day life? Because we're talking real estate and care and I'm trying to understand what that looks like in terms of day-to-day activities that a franchisee is performing.
2: Sure. And our our franchisees are, again, they're they're not working in the home per se. So they would purchase uh, or lease uh, a home, preferably five to six bed home. We do some reconstruction We can get it up to 10, 12, 16, even some uh, in some uh, areas. The home is big enough. You know, we supply all the software to run the business. We're a very high tech company. We have some technology in our homes that no one else has at all. And the key to this business is hiring a really good administrator slash manager. And that is the person who was actually running the business, hiring, firing, supervising the care itself and our franchisees are supervising the supervisors, shall we say. So they're meeting with them. Some of them meet with them daily on the phone. Some come to the home every single day for a couple, you know, 20, 30 minutes. But it's really, it's a key is that that administrator, that manager uh, who they hire, who actually runs the business on a day-to-day level.
1: So I always speak and think in metaphors, Chuck, and I'll run this up the pole and let's see if I'm on the right track or on the wrong path. It would sound to me that what I'm hearing, if we were talking in residential real estate, we might be talking about, a concept like remax Where the broker in a Remax office really doesn't do the residential transaction business on any given day, what that broker does is just recruits people to pay for a desk Mm -hmm. and provide them all the support that they need to do their business, and literally more like a landlord, if you will, than than a broker doing the actual physical work of the brokerage every day. Is that similar? Yeah, it's
2: it's pretty close. It's it's pretty close. You know, our some of our owners like to do some uh, marketing, so they'll meet with case managers and such. talk about their business. But yeah, we don't we don't want them in the home actually doing the care because that's that's happening right now with thirty thousand plus residential care homes out there right now. The owner is is really involved in the care and it's very difficult to expand and grow your business if you're the only caregiver working from eight to five at night. All right. I want to
1: understand a little more about that, but let's do this first. Let's take a quick break so I can pay some bills (laughs) and then let's come back and go a little bit deeper into the concept and the idea and who it is you're looking for. Fair enough. Sounds sounds great. We're talking today with Chuck Bongiovanni. He is the CEO and co-founder of Majestic Residences and we'll be right back.
0: Franchise Today will be right back. But first, a word from our sponsors.
1: Join a peer group, not just any peer group. Join the only one designed for emerging franchisors. Join Zorforum. Learn more at Zorforum.com. That's www.Zorforum.com. And my conversation today with Chuck Bongiovanni co-founder and CEO of Majestic Residences continues. So Chuck, who all is in this space that you are now growing into? Who do you compete with? Who would the the big party
2: in the room be? Depends if you're looking for uh, franchise competitors or just competitors overall, you know. What about Um, some names we would know? Sure. Beehive franchise, they have about 250, I believe. Avondale's another one. They're smaller. They're around six or eight. So we're a pretty small family of competitors, to be honest with you. You
1: know, this space, so many people think everyone that's in elder care or senior care, they just don't realize the different subdivisions of space that is occupied in that profession. Am I correct? People think there's just like a bank on every corner. There's a Bright Star or there's a Comfort Care or right. all of the different brands, but not all of you do the same things. And even if you did, there'd probably quite likely still be a little bit of room for a whole lot more growth based on the aging cycle of today's population and baby boomers. Speak to that a little.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you think about it, you know, even, even the big assisted living places that are out there, the Brookdales and the Sunrises you know from conception to opening you're talking sometimes two three four years but before they get the permits and build the buildings and those kinds of things but in residential care you can buy any home in any residential neighborhood it doesn't matter if it's an hoa because the hoa can't stop it and you can be up and running between four and six months so yeah we can continue to to grow our franchise i mean to to numbers that are honestly unthinkable because We don't have large territories like a lot of the other kind of models have, and it's understandable why they have territories, of course, but we can put, you know, 50 homes in every city if need be because of the growth of the seniors needing that kind of care then
1: when you talk about homeowner associations, are there not zoning restrictions or some types of licensure that may be required in certain municipalities or in states for the homes to be certified? Or is that something that's just under radar?
2: Yeah, I always like to say this. It's kind of sarcastic, Stan, but (laughs) there's a little law that's called the, the Federal Fair Housing Act. And so HOAs cannot stop a home from opening. The most they can do is demand that the garage door stays on. So in that situation, our homeowners, our franchisees would, build two or three bedrooms in the garage, but just keep the garage door on itself so it maintains their uh, requirements. Um, The state have requirements as far as the maximum number of residents you can have in a home, and then the smaller municipalities can change that if they want to, but there's always variances. So for example, in Arizona, the state says we can have 10 residents in a home, but some of the Uh, municipalities say no we want to limit that to six we want to limit that to eight but if you can show that there's a a a need for it in the area you can usually go through the planning and and town council and those kinds of areas to get the increase on the licensing and yeah every state they are licensed in every state so we go through the same licensing procedure as the big assisted living places the, the big memory care places and they're usually licensed by the same entity that licensed nursing homes also
1: And then zoning, what about that? Are there no restrictions on, say, bringing a commercial entity, even though it's a home, but you're bringing a commercial business into a community that may be residential? Or what about parking and those kinds of issues? Do you run into any friction with homeowners associations, even though, as you say, they can't do anything about it? Do they object to the idea?
2: Usually at first they object. And what I found, and this is even you know in my care patrol days, usually the HOA or whoever complains the most is the first one to place mom in the place, right? So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, they have to understand that you know, I may have 10 residents in my home, but they're not driving. They're not going to Walmart. I mean, these people need a good amount of care. And, and so licensing and such is a process uh, that you have to go through, but there aren't a lot of cars parked in the driveway. There's not a lot of traffic going in and out. Matter of fact, when I was working with families to help them find assisted living, I literally found a home for a family that was next door and they didn't even know that next door was a residential care home. And I blame that on the residential care home for poor marketing, but the family didn't even know that that was was a a home or an option that they could have had. And it was literally next door to one.
1: What kind of staffing do these facilities have? And if there's not a lot of traffic or in and out, how many people are staffing a facility that's the size of one that would be a typical case in point
2: for you? So like, let's say a 10 bed home with with 10 residents, you're usually looking at, you know, two caregivers during the day, uh, two in the evening and one overnight. Now, if if a a of residents need a little bit more care than others. You might have a 12 hour shift in between from like seven in the morning to seven and eight. Uh so you have maybe two and a half people in the day, two and a half in the evening and one person overnight.
1: Doesn't sound to me like you'd be seeing any more cars in that scenario than you would with a family of five and friends coming over and going and the like.
2: Exactly. Yeah you know, it there just needs to be a little education if there is an hoa. Uh, we just need to you know, educate them a little bit more about what it is because their perception is 10 residents, we're going to have 10 of them are going to have cars gonna be visitors could be ambulances and, and it's it's nothing like that. And even though you might call it a commercial business, legally, it's it's a resident's home. So sometimes we have some difficulties um, with, with lenders and banks understanding that they're giving a commercial loan, but it's in a residential neighborhood. So we've developed relationships with a, a number of vendors, a number of lenders who completely understand understand that. And then we've also started a network of real estate investors who will purchase the homes and lease them back to our franchisees, kind of like a McDonald's model, you know, sure. without us being involved in it.
1: So let's talk about the profile of your typical franchisee. Who is it you're looking for, for this kind of business? And when you're talking about them not being involved in the operation of the home,
0: mm-hmm. this
1: sounds to me like something that would be a tremendous opportunity for passive investment. And what's the profile then of the potential franchisee that you're seeking?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a passive investor is is a good person for us, but they still need to be invested enough to have a great relationship with that manager. We need people that our good business people understand that our goal is expansion. So opening up that first home is great, but we want them to open up a second, third, and fourth, et cetera. So someone who understands the advantages of real estate also and what happens when you invest in real estate, but more importantly, what happens when you invest in people with caregivers or with managers or with the residents themselves. They have to have the heart in it to understand that care comes before profit. But if you do it right and you work our system, you can be profitable and give great care at the same time. I don't know
1: what the statistic is today, but the last time I checked, I think it was ten or twelve thousand people a day or a week. I'm not sure I remember turning sixty-five years old. What's the latest per, number on
2: it's per day? You're you're absolutely correct. And then for us, you know, in this industry, our average uh, residence is about 84. So that group is growing significantly. And that group isn't going to stop for the next 15 years or so. So we're definitely going to have the, they call it the silver tsunami. So they're definitely aging and the economy can't slow aging or any major event can't slow aging per se. So we're always going to have that potential customer. And I really think too, that this caregiver shortage that's out there, it's probably hurting more in-home care franchises than us, but people who need care and can't find caregivers, they're going to need another option. And usually residential care is that, is their option for them. And since we can run this business without a lot of caregivers compared to an in-home care franchise system that has 100, 200 uh, employees and caregivers, it's difficult at this point with that shortage going on.
1: I could be mistaken, but it would almost seem to me that you and your wife, Becky, could have some type of a professional in in addition to a personal relationship. Would not somebody like a care patrol be a perfect feeder opportunity to bring business
2: to you? Absolutely. And um, I'm the founding president of our National Trade Association for referral agents so national placement and referral alliance so uh, i know a lot of referral agents across the whole nation and they are definitely helping our homes they're excited about it because they know my history in the industry they know that anything that we bring together we're going to uh, teach the homeowners how to give a great tour and how to give a great a great care and, you know, in essence, it's great for their clients. They refer to us. So we work a lot with a lot of the referral agencies across the country. You sound like the perfect three-legged stool here. At Shop. <laughs> <Pretty much.
1: laughs> so bring us back to the profile of who it is you're looking for. Net worth, liquidity, past experience, who might be out there that wants to learn more about this and fit your ideal requirements.
2: Sure. We're looking at about a $500,000 personal wealth. Would they need to be able to have enough money to put a down payment on, on a home if they go that route besides leasing. We want at least about 120,000 in capital before they open, any renovations and those kinds of things. But the, the the real neat thing about our system is that we have several different pathways they can go on. So someone could go the purchase model, which again, they're coming out in the down payment and such and any kind of uh, renovation. Another route is simply just the leasing. We find people who will lease a home for them. It's a lot less money up front because they don't have to do the down payment. Or a third way is actually not necessarily a franchisee, but working with interested investors who just want to buy the home to lease them to the franchisees. So we kind of have three different paths or three different people that we could walk down that path with them for success in being part of the franchise and different Different ways
1: excellent all right this is a, a question that I already know the answer to but I'm gonna put it out there anyway because I'll bet the audience doesn't know so if I were gonna ask for a fun and interesting fact for the audience to learn about you that they might never have guessed for themselves what would that be
2: interesting fact well currently I could do a current fact yep currently I'm actually running for our town council um, we Gilbert Arizona is the largest town in America landwise we're bigger than San Francisco. St. Louis Baltimore a lot of these cities so I am I'm kind of excited about that right now it's the first time I've ever been involved in any kind of politics and it's been uh, it's been pretty it's been eye-opening it's been interesting
1: well, as we talked about in The Green Room before we began, you're the third instance in this election cycle of a org reaching for making a difference in the public sector, with Jared Sesla and Heidi Ganal being the other two. But you are doing it in a way that is the most amazing thing I've ever heard of in politics, and that is that you're going as a nonpartisan into this election. Uh,
2: what's What's really interesting is I looked at running for office you know, through a franchisor's kind of uh Sense, I mean, it, it, it's really the same kind of thing because in order to run a successful franchise, you have to have great relationships with your franchisees. You have to listen to their opinions and, and know they're not always going to agree on things, but find ways to negotiate the, the best result, the best outcome. And that's exactly the same way I look at political office, which is why it didn't take me much to, to decide to do this because I looked at it through the lens of a franchisor and understood that people just need to be heard.
1: Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. Chuck, what have I not asked you that perhaps you might wish that I did?
2: Well, you know, um, we'll talk a little bit about the cost of what the families pay, what the seniors pay to be in our homes. We usually range between 5500 and 7500 per resident per bed. So our franchisees can do quite well, even with the higher caregiver costs these days.
1: And that number is a monthly number? Yes.
2: Mm-hmm, per resident.
1: So there seems to me to be a great deal of margin in this business, right?
2: Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
1: Very good. What about some contact info? So those who have learned just enough to whet the appetite and want to know more can find you again.
2: Yeah, the best way to get hold of us and, and learn more about our franchise is www.discovermajesticresidences.com com. That's discovermajesticresidences.com. It'll give you information about all our different paths of how to get involved in us and get you involved pretty quickly. And something that's really interesting, Stan, is we go out of order a little bit. For years with my last franchise system and a lot of others, we do the, the Discovery Day last in most franchises. We did something different in Majestic Residences is that we do our Discovery Day by Zoom like many people do these days. But we do it really, really, really early in the sales process, the due diligence process. We do it before they even get an FDD. And the reason why we want to do that is I've never understood the concept of let's give the potential franchisee the most information, but at the very end, I'd rather give them the most information upfront so we can talk about, discuss it, and show the why of every program we have and such. So we give them that information really quickly. They have an initial conversation with me. They fill out an application and then boom, we set them up for a discovery webinar right away. And it's been very successful for us. It keeps the franchisee very interested in our process, but it also gives them more time to come up with questions that they may have about the franchise. Is
1: that a practice that you instilled here, or did you do that as well with Care Patrol?
2: We do it just in Majestic Residences. It's, it's great. It's, it's a great little model to, to do, and I recommend it to other franchisers, Maybe just try it with, with one franchise class, shall we say, and see if you see an, a noticeable difference in their the rest of their due diligence and their questions and staying excited about the brand and those kinds of things.
1: Sure. When I was a franchisor, I always did it early on and I watched the metamorphosis of discovery day into decision day, which Mm -hmm. is what many franchisors do now. But I always felt like you do that. It was a better idea to be able to present them with the weight of a disclosure document as an offset to some of the other things they can see and feel. If they come visit you and do a discovery day early, I would disclose them at discovery day. right? But they spent a the whole day with my partners and with me and with our team, and they got a, an anchor and a feeling of culture that they would otherwise not have gotten to offset the weight of that one-way draft <laughs> that you have to sooner or later yeah. anyway, right?
2: Yeah. We, we notice that when they get the FDD, they're still excited and, and- it brings out more questions for that FDD mm-hmm. discussion call than given the FDD have been overwhelmed with it and then maybe not asking that mm-hmm. question until quote unquote, you know, decision day. Well, it's just another one of those
1: twists where not one size fits all and everybody's got their own way of getting to the finish line. But it seems to me that you've had enough success doing what you've done until now that we'll be talking with you again down the road when you've got another zero or so to the left of the decimal in <laughs> the number of units out there.
2: Well, I hope so, Stan. I really do. Chuck, it's been a real pleasure. Chuck
1: Bonjavani, co-founder and CEO of Majestic Residences. Thanks for sharing with the audience here today on Franchise Today. Appreciate it, Stan. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap for today. Next week, we're back to do it all again when we're joined by former Jimmy John's CFO, COO, and CEO, Greg Majewski. He'll come knocking to tell us all about his current ventures as today he sits at the helm of Wildcat Investments, a multi-unit Jimmy John's franchisee, at the same time as serving as CEO of Mongolian Concepts Restaurant Group, franchisors of the Genghis Grill, Flat Top Grills, and BD's Mongolian Grills. Until then, I'm Stan Friedman wishing you the best, the very best of all things franchising,
0: and Franchise Today is out.